This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. This is the last episode of Exvangelical for 2019, and this year has been quite a year. Um, I'm thankful that to have you all as listeners still, and I'm really happy to share this final conversation of 2019 with you. In this episode, I talk to Holly Laurent. She is one of the co-hosts of the Mega Podcast. That is a satirical improv show that takes place in a fictional megachurch and features lots of comedians that you would know, like Thomas Middleditch and others, playing roles that will just have you in stitches. Uh, It's a great show, and Holly is a fascinating person, and I really enjoyed our conversation. We cover all sorts of topics from Chicago pizza to Christian college to growing up as a pastor's kid and how comedy has sort of filled a role of community for Holly. Uh, We get into a lot of different things and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I want to thank everyone who uh, is listening to the show. Thank you to my patrons. Thank you to those who tell others about the show. Um, You can like the show on Facebook. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. Uh, you can join the Facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups slash exvangelical. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at brchastain. This episode was produced by Jake Lewis. Thank you very much, Jake, for your work on this episode. All right, let's get right into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Exvangelical. My guest this week is Holly Laurent. She is the co-host of the Mega Podcast, as well as a featured performer on NPR's Live From Here. Welcome to the show, Lord. <laughs> I said, welcome to the show, you, Holly. <laughs> you know what? People do that all the time. People call me Lauren a lot, and I respond to it, because my last name kind of looks like a first name, and that's still my name, too. And so <laughs> you're, in good, you're in good company. Oh, man, I, you know what? I, I had everything else fine on, on the first take, and then I totally biffed it on that. <laughs> it's good. It's all too human, right? That's right. Well, welcome to the show, Holly. I like to start off the show by just talking about where where people grew up, like both where, if they grew up in the States, where where they did, and sort of what their initial religious upbringing was like as well. So let's let's start there. Where 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 did you get your start? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is you're sitting in Chicago right now, right? Yeah, that's right. What neighborhood do you live in? I live in Rogers Park, uh, in the far north side. So yeah, um, I consider myself a Chicagoan because I lived there for probably 15 years. And when I was in high school, I grew up in the suburbs, like out in Elgin. Oh, okay. Yeah, I went to high school in Naperville, so a different part of the suburbs, but. Oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved into the city actually, and I love Chicago so much, I lived everywhere. I lived in, um, 
Lakeview, Lincoln Square, um, Bucktown, uh, I kind of was all over. Mm-hmm. And um, I love Chicago so much and just picturing you in Chicago and picturing Rogers Park and like hearing the L in my memory makes me really nostalgic because um, I've been living in L.A. for the last six years. And I mm-hmm. uh, but I, I but I will always consider myself a Chicagoan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great city and it's it's got the neighborhoods have such character and you know they're they're very distinct and i'm i'm a huge booster of both chicago and uh the neighborhood of rogers park and i know that like rogers park is known for being a like an affordable place but also a little a little dicey um but i think it's i think it's growing out of that reputation um just because it's one of the places where you can have a have a larger place and and uh, you know where younger families can get a start without making bank <laughs> yeah that's great yeah and are there any lou malnati's up in rogers park because like i think lou Mal- that makes life worth living <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a giordano's but there's not a lou malnati's there's uh oh. yeah there's like a sarpino's and uh and a lou and a giordano's and yeah of the, of the big ones that's the one that's here <laughs> um, I think those are not even in the same category. Uh, I'm so, and for people, for those of, Hey friends listening who are like, what in the hell are you talking about? We're talking about a pizza place called Lou Malnati's, even though it sounds like we're talking about the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think pizza makes life worth living. And I think that's the best pizza in the world. And people who shit on Chicago style pizza, um, I just know that we're never going to really connect. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I, I like, I lose, uh, their sauce doesn't, it's not my favorite of all the Chicago spots, but other than their sauce, I really like lose. <laughs> but I mean, sauce, sauce is a bit, pretty big part, Blake. I know it is. Pretty yeah, big part of it. I know. It's... <laughs> Um, but anyway, sorry, I know I'm so off topic, but, um, (laughs) so I grew up, um, my, uh, my mom and dad, I I was born in the Chicago suburbs. And then, um, when I was like a toddler, my family moved to Niles, Michigan, which is in Southwest Michigan, just on the other side of the lake. And, um, I lived there till I was 12. And then when I was 12, we moved back to the Chicago suburbs Mm. and, um, uh, so then, um, I went to college in Indiana uh, at Anderson university in Anderson, Indiana, a church of God school down there. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, yeah. And then I, promptly I, moved to back to Chicago. I, uh, I went to Indiana Wesleyan. So right down the road. <laughs> yeah. I know Indiana Wesleyan. My dad is in, uh, was growing up. He was a traveling, uh, like a, a traveling evangelist and, um, mm. Now he's a now he's a teaching pastor at a mega church, but he um I remember he did some like spiritual emphasis week or something at Indiana Wesleyan and I came over from Anderson to like see him for the night and hang out with him and oh, okay. I always loved to watch watch him do his thing and um yeah. I, I remember always being like, Are are these Wesleyans okay, Dad? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, they're cool. You know, all the different like sects and everything. Like right. um, I, I remember when we pulled into Anderson, Indiana, when I was like moving into my first freshman year college dorm and I saw that it said a Church of God school on the sign, I was like, Is Church of God okay, Dad? And he was like, Yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so did your so as your your dad as a traveling evangelist, did he have a denominational affiliation or was he a freelance evangelist? 
he was more like a free, uh, he was just really bringing the good news of the gospel and introducing people to a really cool Jesus who loves you like you've never been loved before, baby. Mm. <laughs> and um, so, uh, yeah, uh, but at home, we went to a Baptist, more specifically, a Northern Baptist church. Um, and because my mom's dad was the pastor at First Baptist Church of Niles, Michigan. So I grew up and was baptized and everything in this like Baptist church, real sort of traditional, like no clapping, oh heavens. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all the, it was just run by a bunch of white guys. And, um, but it's kind of like Niles was a blue collar town. I, when I was really young, my parents were in a Christian rock band, one of the first ever Christian rock bands in the 1970s, like called the Good News Circle. And, um, so they, they, they got married um, in college, started this band, The Good News Circle, started traveling and like putting out albums and like really had a lifestyle going with it there for several years. And, um, and uh, uh, so that was my like really early life with this kind of like rock and roll road show. Um, and then when my mom kept having kids, there's four kids in my family total, like we settled in Niles and um, my dad, he had started to, at the end of like their music shows, he would kind of give this message about, you know, how much Jesus loves you. And like, it would be this big emotional kind of altar call thing that, Mm. you know, I watched, I watched every night of my life, you know, growing up. And um, so uh, he just started to more and more like speak more and more. And then when the band finally busted up, he just stayed a, a traveling evangelist. And so for, um, till I was like 12, my dad just was on the road constantly. And so like in the summertime or when we were on break from school and stuff, he would take one of us at a time with him just so he could like get to know us. Cause he was just always gone. Oh, so wow. I, um, yeah, so I would, um, yeah, I would just be on road trips with my dad, like driving all night to get to the next place, to get to the next church, to do the next thing. I would, he would start to include me in little like skits and sketches and stuff he would do to kind of like make his messages more dynamic and stuff. And, um, Hmm. so yeah, I just saw kind of in front and behind the curtain and grew up really proud of his ability to work a room and to move people. And he's very charismatic and he's a great storyteller and he's funny and he's good looking. And I just, I was just like, my dad's the greatest, you know, it was like, really, I mean, I know everybody's parents fall off pedestals, but like I had him up there so damn high. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah. And then, and then, uh, when I wasn't on the road with him back home, I was, um, in Christian school and, um, and church because my grandpa was the pastor of our, of our local church. We were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Christian school, chapel, uh, three days a week, Bible classes, five days a week. It was like everyone I knew was Christian. Every thought I had was Christian. Everything I knew existed, like in all reality, was just like this evangelical or kind of like, you know, Protestant capitalist sort of American uh, Christianity. And um, and um, I think what happened in those early years, to be really honest, I th- I think that um, evangelicalism can be very brutal to all types of humans, um, mentally, you know, psychologically, emotionally, mm-hmm. um, spiritually, all that stuff. Um, but I think there is a specific thing like for females, at least for, for me, just being very emotional, being highly sensitive. 
I really, really struggled because I can remember being really young. I can, I have, I have thoughts of like being so, so, so young. Like I, I have memories of even being a toddler and stuff. And I remember kind of like when I learned the alphabet and when I learned about like gender and all that stuff, I remember just really being like ha- having a more infinite mind and being like, oh, like, okay, so now I know 26 letters. I can't wait to learn more because they must be infinite and gender must be infinite and everything hmm. must be. I just remember being very, and I was so strong willed. I had like such a strong sense of self. And I just kind of came into this world already acting just fresh out of Fox and like, um, very, <laughs> I was very hard to discipline. Like my, my, my poor mom was basically like a single mom because my dad was never there. And I was just so strong willed and like, I like discipline didn't really work on me. I almost saw it as like a game of like, okay, so she got one in now I got to do something. Okay. Just, I had the strongest sense of self and strong will and kind of, um, I feel like I got here with a lot of like muchness and bigness. And, um, what I think happened in those early years is it just got beat out of me so dreadfully and so painfully. And, and, and the world came crash the Christian world came crashing in as so small and limiting. And for me, very like frightening and um, traumatic. And I, and it made me hate myself and fear God, you know, the, like the fear of God for me was like actual terror of this being who is like, you know, knows everything, sees everything is keeping track of every like thought, instinct, behavior, habit, impulse, desire, you know, like, and it just really, truly scared the absolute uh, shit out of me. And, um, kind of in the way, if you've ever seen someone like break a horse in the worst possible way by like just literally breaking their, their will and their spirit, like, Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like that's what happened to me over the course of being exposed to this, um, belief system. It like really, it was not only just not helpful in helping me as like a small creature learn how to navigate the world and occasionally experience joy or something. It just really like, um, it, it crushed, it crushed, it crushed me and all that like muchness and sort of vision and, and strong will and everything that, that came so naturally to me in the beginning, just sort of toppled into this like very fearful, anxious shame, just like so filled with like, shame and dread and um and just like so I I got really traumatized I like I sort of have sleep disorders to this day because I used to always try to stay awake like saying the sinner's prayer all night long like in case I died in my sleep I was just so afraid of going to hell and like my dad was my dad was casting out demons at like you know revivals and stuff and I'm like whoa where did that demon go you know and I was so afraid of a demon coming inside of me and taking me over and me becoming a host of a, of what I was seeing as a kid, you know, with people like foaming at the mouth and eyes rolled back and everything. It took me like well into my twenties or maybe even thirties, goodness gracious, maybe in my, I don't know, to be like, Oh, people in big crowds with like music and lights and everything have seizures when they're epileptic. And like, they're, they foam at the mouth and their eyes roll back and guttural noises come out of their body. That wasn't a demon, like trying to like, like, Mm. you know, fight to stay in its, its host. It was like a a human being having a very real 
problem and they needed their neck stabilized not to have hands laid on them. But like, <laughs> I, I also would hear things from the pulpit about like the sin of drink or women or whatever. And I, I heard loud and clear that I myself in this female body was like an actual sin. Like mm. I was like, basically, you know, it was my responsibility to do everything in my power to not be the downfall of good and upright men. And it was very much a man's world. And I was just, uh, I really struggled. And, and the, I think the deep, deep um, sort of like insecurity, uh, um, low self-esteem and like shame that came from those years just was a very, 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 very deep wound that I think to this day I'm still sort of um, trying to intentionally heal and trying not to just do too much of the like uh, booze and cannabis to numb it, but only let myself do that like <laughs> in moderation or in um, what 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 is it that people like to say? Balance is the like secret of life or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I because I think I would. Um, and I think I have spent years like in a little bit of a like boozy or cannabisy sort of fog um, because it just yeah to cope it just was yeah absolutely it was just kind of because it was just more than I could take uh, being you know a highly emotional and a highly sensitive person so mm -hmm. um, and and I kind of watched it watched it crush my mom uh, she was really the only person you know, my dad would like come and go. She was really the like primary love source basically. And I just think in studying her, I also got a really deep fear for all of it, but I completely believed in, in it entirely. And um, my parents were, you know, big supernaturalists too. So it was just this constant like spiritual warfare being waged constantly and visibly mm. around us all the time. Like angels and demons, God and Satan, heaven and hell, like this warfare for the eternal destiny of our souls. And like when, when the, it seems to me like now looking back and I don't have children and I'm sure a lot of my trauma is, is why, is why I don't have children. But, um, I like to say I'm child free. I don't want a baby in my body or in my apartment. <laughs> um, sucking off my body or my bank account. As you can see, I, um, as you can see, I've like turned to uh, comedy, obviously also as like a, I, I think like um, all that, uh, like everything was Christian. Everyone I knew was Christian. It was just Christian, 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 Christendom. Right. When I finally like uh, got out of the house and started to sort of like learn how to think critically in college. And then when I finally got to Chicago and discovered improv and comedy, I feel like I kind of like replaced that. Uh, I replaced Christ with comedy and comedy was a place where like with, with Christ, I always felt like I was never going to be good enough. I always, I had a really, even though like all of it, I say like it, it crushed me so hard and I, my self-esteem and everything was so devastated. I still had a really strong, um, I always had a really kind of strong, natural rebellious spirit where I just would sort of naturally do whatever it was that, you know, I wasn't, that I was being told that was just kind of my, my nature. So that also really, really scared me because then also I learned about like predestination and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, clearly I'm not predestined. And like, then, then uh, that's a yeah. whole like, you know, and so then right. I'm like, Oh, I'm just fucked. And, but I like <laughs> was born into a Christian family, but I just can't find the Jesus gear in my like shifter. And I, and I, I'm fucked and I'm like going to be in a very real hell forever. And so I just really did get to where I was like, 
um, you know, so I'm just going to do all the things. And and really, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a very compelling belief system anyway, when really everything I'd been told was just don't drink, don't smoke, don't have sex till you're married. And, you know, like three don'ts, like it just, it just was not very compelling. So I was like, okay, so those are the three things I'm going to do and then live (laughs) in complete absolute terror constantly, like of the very real hell that awaits me. Right. Yeah. Because those are the only options, right? I mean, you just, you're either a saint or an apostate. So, like, you just have to yeah. <laughs> decide. There's no gray. Yeah, exactly. So, I think, um, but, but it was like when I, so, so I was being really, I was just being a naughty, naughty girl, um, <laughs> you know, like in, in high school and stuff. I think, honestly, because I just, I did start to try to numb all that stuff because I had no coping mechanisms. I couldn't even think critically. I wasn't, you know, and I, I just really, I just couldn't do it. I wasn't doing my devotions. I wasn't a prayerful person. I tried so hard and I was just so filled with fear that I finally just started to drown that fear in like, you know, going to like parties and getting hammered and like, Oh yeah. And like doing all the things. And then, um, it, but it wasn't until like, it's funny that I went to a church of God school in Indiana because like based on the, the church I grew up in and even, Oh God, when I was in junior high, I went to a fundamental Baptist already like fundamental. I mean, like God help you, but like, um, I went to a fundamental Baptist um, Christian school in junior high where it was just fire and brimstone and, um, required soul winning and girls had to wear dresses and, get down on our knees, like coming into school every day to show that our skirts like would touch the floor so Mm. that we weren't showing Mm. too much leg. Like it was just like, it it was really, really bad. And and at that time when you're already like, I'm in junior high and I hate my body and I'm full of shame and terror. And then it was just like more shame and terror. And um, so I think that's why I just really like went off the deep end in high school. And then got to college was like immediately found like the partying group and the like bad kids who sleep through chapel and everything. And Right. Yeah. I think that's one, one thing that's just a very particular at Christian schools is that like the bad kids, so to speak, are just the kids that act like normal kids would like at any other college. Yeah. Like college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, but, but funnily enough, like I also was taking so many Bible classes that I ran out of classes to take in the Bible and religion department at the school. And they started letting me take classes in the seminary, like while I was an undergrad, just because I was like, I was learning how to think critically for the first time ever. And I was so curious that I thought that if I, and I noticed you um, took Koine Greek too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I took a couple of years in, uh, in college and that was my first uh, freshman year was like the first full week of school was when nine 11 happened. And then, and so I actually had my, the history department, I, I initially went in as a history major um, and they were really big on double majors. So I was history and biblical literature and I planned on going to seminary afterwards. Um, and it was like the comparison of taking Greek and learning more about how the Bible was made. And like, I didn't even really realize that I was sort of a biblical literalist, but like studying Greek just made, was a huge, huge faith crisis for me. Coupled, yeah. coupled with like, 
the history department was like de facto Republican and they were rah-rah about Iraq. And like I was becoming increasingly pacifist like myself because of what I was yeah. <laughs> reading in the Bible. So, yeah. So I did take I did take Greek. And that was a for me, that was a big like, holy cow, this is way more complicated than I thought it was moment. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Very much so. And I was like, okay, now I can translate the New Testament for myself and, and understanding like the, the complicated nature of, of it being an inflective language and what that means in terms mm-hmm. of interpretation and all that stuff. And, right. and um, I think, so, so yeah, same for me, like that, that created a crisis of faith where like, okay, so like how Bart Campolo talks about his deconversion as like death by a thousand cuts. Like, so mm-hmm. that was one of the cuts. And then, you know, like, wait, I think gay people are great. And like, that was <laughs> yeah. another cut. And right. then like all those things of like, wait, I have gay friends. They're dope. Like this is wait. Oh, and not all these cuts start to appear. And like, you, you only have so many fingers to like put into the dam. And, um, Mm-hmm. And and I mean God God bless them like that that university was compared to the church I grew up in it was like fairly what you would call what my parents I guess would call liberal in terms of like Christianity right. because I had you know what I mean because I had like philosophy classes and stuff where like my Dr. Reed one day because of something I was saying in class I'm not sure he gave me a book called The Myth of Satan and he was like I want you to read this and then like write some reactions to it and bring it back to me. And I was like, what are you talking about? The myth of Satan? Like, it's just, that's like really so offensive. Like, <laughs> right. And he's like, and he's like, you know, and, um, and speaking of, do you know Bart Campolo? Uh, that's Tony Campolo's son that, that is no longer a Christian. Right. I know that they like wrote a book together where they sort of dialogue. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He, yeah. He, he fo- followed in his dad's footsteps, was kind of like doing the evangelical, like speaking circuit and all that stuff. And um, he was, uh, you know, sort of like, OK, I'm not going to do the hell. I'm not going to believe the hell thing. I'm not going to believe the homosexuality thing for LGBTQ plus, you know, like I'm not going to. OK, I'm not going to also. And then it just starts to, you know, the Jenga starts to topple, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, but but uh, he now has a podcast that's really great called humanize me mm. and um uh and he talks about like um it's just uh, it's a supportive community for he he's such a like minister at heart who no longer believes in the bible or in god or in any of that yeah um but he's but he's such a deep um minister that he has like now devoted his life to for a while he went and was the humanist chaplain at usc um and uh and now he has the Humanize Me podcast where he's basically, um, I think, ministering to people who have left the faith or deconverted or whatever you want to say and who mm-hmm. are in pain and need answers of how to stay connected to the believers in their life who they deeply love and how to know what to do um, uh, in terms of community and all that stuff. So right. um, I, 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 he, he's really great. And I got kind of lucky by like finding comedy. I, I, I found instant community and I found a place where I felt like um, – it was very strange to me when I got into comedy because I was like, oh, wait, you can't really get like kicked out for anything. I was just always so afraid of being found out by the Christians of not getting it right. And, you know, sort of like, be, you know, being uh, ostracized. And in comedy, I'm like, well, I guess the only real 
sin here is not being funny. And so like, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just keep working that muscle and like find a place to be- belong and whatever. But, but way um, lower stakes. It's like, I'm sorry for that noise in the background. That's my, my dog, uh, who sounds like a cat. <laughs> so sorry about that. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm such a dog person. Don't be, don't do not apologize. I, my, my dumbass dog will probably start making noise here soon. Um, <laughs> but when, when I was in college and like being the like bad kid or whatever, um, mm-hmm. Bart Campolo came through like doing some kind of like speaking, he spoke in chapel and whatever. And, um, I was really compelled by what he was talking about because he was like, I don't care if you're sleeping with your girlfriend. I don't care if you've got like porn under your bed or whatever. Like, I want to know if you care about poor people. And it was more about like social justice. And for the first time, like an actual compelling message of like a do instead of a don't. And so I like went and worked with his inner city ministry in um, Philadelphia and just like the things I was seeing, like doing inner city ministry was like almost more than I could take, um, just more than I could bear, like the things that these kids are going through on the streets, like in these like disenfranchised communities and stuff. I was just like, whoa, that was another like big cut that was appearing where I was like, cool. So I'm telling these kids who have no hope and who are being like gang raped and stuff, that there's like a very real God who loves them more than ever and is like all powerful and everything. And I was like, I'm really struggling here. And then meanwhile, like, you know, learning Koine Greek and being able to translate and then seeing how complicated that is. And yeah, like you said, how the Bible was assembled and everything and then mm-hmm. reading the myth of Satan. And, and um, it's funny because when I was doing inner city ministry in Philadelphia, I was like living in the basement of this like pre- wait, Presbyterian. I feel like it was Presbyterian church. It was a little bit more compared to how I grew up. It was a little more like high church, you know, where like mm-hmm. they all had the same sermon every week and all the different like churches or whatever. And, um, and one of their like Eucharistic ministers was a female. And I was like, Whoa, that's weird. <laughs> Cause like I grew up with like, there were no female leadership kind of got to be close to her. And she started talking about things like, the poetry of the creation story and like the myth of, um, you know, creation and stuff. And I'm like, wait, you're a Christian and you're saying there wasn't a seven day creation that it was like a, a piece of poetry. And, um, and, and, and and I was like, wait, no, you, you, you heathen. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and then like, as I started taking more and more of these seminary classes in college, um, it's so I'm looking back. I'm like, that was so weird that I was like trying to like smoke and stay out in the graveyard, like making out and stuff and like sleeping through chapel and like partying so hard on the weekends and stuff. And yet I was like voraciously doing everything I could to learn everything I possibly could mm-hmm. about what I still believed to be the truth of the Bible and of the gospel story and all that stuff. And and then in one of my seminary classes, called literature literature and history of the old testament like my professor started like bringing in like pieces of literature that predate the 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 writing of the bible where there were these like similar creation stories and everything is like begged borrowed and stolen and you know Mm -hmm. like right kind of like like what you were yeah like gilgamesh and 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 all those different stories from the same area in sumeria like there's a lot in common because that's how culture yeah. worked thousands of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start to learn about like kind of what you were talking about with Pete Holmes of like 
oh, like a white man in the sky, that's Zeus, you know? And then if all those Greek gods were like having sex with humans, then there were these sons of gods. And then the Christians were like, wait, we got one of them too. We got a son of God or, you know, what <laughs> right. I, I just, yeah. But yeah, it just really all started to fall apart for me. And it wasn't until like, when I was in graduate school in Chicago, I went to Columbia um, in the book and paper center at Columbia College mm. in Chicago. And I went and got my master's in interdisciplinary art. And I had a mentor and a professor there who was this like pagan woman. And I was like, ooh, even the word pagan scares me. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't even understand what paganism was. And she would ha just have us do all these like pagan rituals that were just like, being more in touch with the earth and like doing these just intentional things. Like when you put away your summer clothes, putting them away with like lavender and smells of spring so that when you, when you brought them out in the spring, it would, you know, and, and when you put away your winter clothes, put them away with like cinnamon and like, it's like things that will like being in touch with the earth and the seasons and like intentionality and all this stuff. And I was like, wait, what is paganism? <laughs> Is Martha and, Stewart a pagan? Does she does she give us <laughs> pagan tips? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 all the like pagan stuff, the the way it would like play out in everyday life. I was like, I actually kind of like these things. It's like not scary, and 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 I think because like comedy was overtaking my heart a little bit, I just started to be like my God, if, if this life is laugh or cry, like I'm just ready to laugh. I'm like so tired of like being wrong and like so deeply afraid. And mm. like, I would say the first third of my life was just defined by fear. I was just so afraid and I was mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. kind of tormented by that, that fear. And then I feel like right around, you know, uh, graduate school and co comedy in Chicago, I sort of, I transitioned into, um, like clearly like I, I, I'm going to laugh about it and I'm just going to turn it into jokes and that's going to kind of be my way of coping with it. And you know, yak, 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 blah, 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 blah. but <laughs> I, I'm now, now that I'm like entering a, a new transition, I'm seeing that like that sort of second third of my life was all, it was just anger. And, and so much of my comedy comes from like, a deep anger and sadness of, of sort of what I feel like I uh, kind of lost or and maybe that's not even a word, but just what my experience was as a, as a young human and how much I didn't like it and how much it hurt me and didn't help me and how much I, and, and so I feel like that first third was fear. That second third was sort of um, reaction to that fear and slash anger mm -hmm. um, slash comedy and, and realizing that like, especially now, now that I'm really trying to transition into this other third of my life, this next chapter, I, I, I'm realizing that so much of my comedic voice is very much in the realm of like taking the piss out of myself and, um, kind of like that Hannah Gadsby stuff. And, uh, and also, um, uh, be, be, being in reaction to, uh, this, this thing that hurt me and sort of like overpowering it now with my like new comedic perspective and like not caring or whatever. But like clearly when 
you're in reaction to something, you're still very much like in its, in its grip, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I feel now. And that was part of this, like in Mexico, we, my husband and I did mushrooms and we went to these like shamanic healings and meditation drum circles and all this like real weirdo stuff. And, um, and, but it, it actually was kind of a profound experience. And I felt like a deep shift in my soul where it, it also was our 10 year anniversary of being married, which kind of blew my mind because I don't even feel like I've known him for two years. And it <laughs> makes me feel like, like, like shy and scared. And like, where are the breaks? Like if 10 went that fast, like, oh, it's speeding up. And like, I get really <laughs> like <laughs> emotional. I'm sort of, I'm like tearing up right now. Cause I, I think I, there was something about us hitting our 10 year anniversary where I was like, Jesus, maybe I'm going to actually start like trusting you and believe that you love me. Cause like, I think <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like I perform a lot for, for like, for, for love. Like I, if I can make you laugh, if I can impress you with whatever amount of success I can get, then maybe you'll stay, you know, and like reaching this, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm like, I'm a, I, I cry, like I cry a lot. So I'm crying right now, but, um, I, I, I feel like I'm entering a, um, a new phase of like, I'm ready to be happy. I'm like, just really ready to allow myself to be happy and to trust that like, that I can be loved and belong and I don't have to like work so hard for it. Like I can just like knowing that there are no guarantees and like anything could happen to my relationship and I could end up, uh, you know, alone and, and, and experience loss, which is like my greatest fear. Like that could happen, but like, I'm going to stop like um, waiting for the other shoe to drop and I'm just going to, fucking enjoy like the 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 many things for which I'm so deeply grateful rather than continue to like just uh mine it all for comedy laugh it all away and be like constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop and like guarding myself in some way from that and not allowing myself to like have that like full you know like terrifying human experience of like loving and being loved. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm like crying. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I mean, you, it's totally fine. And you know what you, you've overcome a lot and you deserve to, you deserve to feel the way you do. You've, you've earned, <laughs> you've earned every bit of that emotion, you know, just Thanks, even man. hearing your story just in, in this brief time, there's, there's so much life lived there and there's so many things to process. And, and I think, you know, the, the things that you've shared, it, it, it indicates why leave like evangelicalism, it creates an extra burden for people to, yeah. to overcome to sort of, especially as they, as life continues, you know, you just have to continue to roll with the punches and it just does not prepare you for, for life. One of my friends, <laughs> one of my friends really said it very well. And he said, it, it's like, gives you a, a false bill of goods. <laughs> like yeah. nothing, nothing works the way they say it does, but that's being more general and yeah. moving away from moving away from your story. And just, like I said, you, you deserve to feel every bit of emotion that you have. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much for your, you're a good listener. I just, I was really, um, ru running through it there. For <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think you've, you've said so many things about how you just didn't, you didn't like, in in retrospect, you, you didn't enjoy being young. And then you, you took that, that, discomfort that anger about the way you were the way 
you were conditioned the way you were treated and you you use that as a tool to create comedy. I would never perform comedy, but I, I really like comedy. I like watching comedy. Like when my family moved from Indiana to the Chicago suburbs in high school, I didn't know anyone. Um, and so I would just go home and watch Comedy Central, like religiously. That's all I would yeah. do. Um, yeah. Because it's like this, it's like a sort of a soft landing place. And the other thing about comedy, even if you're not aware of it at the time, is there, there, the whole point of it is there's no sacred cows. And when your whole life is nothing but sacred cows, it's a pretty big fucking relief <laughs> to, to yeah. not have that. So, um, I know this, I know this is a, a pivot back in your story, but if, but talk a little bit about like your grad school period and, and how you got into comedy and using improv and other things in order to work out your anger and your other feelings about your life to that, to that point. Well, I think, um, it's funny because I took, I too was a double major in college and I did, um, acting was one of my degrees and my other one was Bible and religion. Hmm. And, um, I had to take improv, um, in my acting courses and I hated it because in improv, like everything you say is yours. So you, if it lands, then you, you've succeeded. But if, if, if you eat shit, then you've like failed. And I was just so afraid of feeling. And I was so afraid of being judged for what would come out of my mouth. And like with acting, you're, you're saying somebody else's words. And so it's like, you know, it's the script, you know, talk to the writer. But, um, in, in improv, you are the actor, writer, director, editor, you know, you're, you're all of those things. And I just had such, uh, deeply low self-esteem that it just scared the bejesus out of me. But I think there was something in me, whether I would have admitted it at the time or not, that like, knew that I was funny and, um, and, and I just sort of always been kind of working comedic muscles and like storytelling my whole life. And, um, so I, as soon as I graduated, I just immediately moved to Chicago because I'd heard that like all the SNL people like came through second city. And mm -hmm. so, um, I, I moved to Chicago, like simply to face that dragon because I was like, why is that getting the best of me? Like, I think honestly, like my deepest, deep, deep waters that I could barely access consciously, maybe not access at all consciously at the time, like knew that I was funny, but, um, my, my more surface waters that were all like choppy and, and, and blowing around and distracted. I, on the surface really think I believed, like I feared that I wasn't funny. So something in me just was like, I'm going to, I'm going to face that dragon and like see why I'm so intimidated by it. And, and maybe I'll find out that I'm actually not funny. And so I, I moved to Chicago and I started taking classes at second city. And then I heard about IO and then I started taking classes at IO. And then I heard about annoyance and I started taking classes at annoyance. And then I was doing improv shows every night of the week. And I was like in every sketch group I could be in. And simultaneously I started working at Willow Creek community church, a mega church in the suburbs of Chicago, mm -hmm. because I did, because I didn't think I had any skill set to work anywhere other than in the life of the church, which had been my entire like reality and understanding of like existence. So I'm working at this mega church during the day to support my improv habit at night. And, um, as I'm working at this church, like I felt deeply closeted there because as I was working there, I was 
it was the death by a thousand cuts. It was like I had, I was removing enough Jenga pieces that it was all toppling. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't believe like I am not a believer. I don't believe in any of it. And I was working at a church. And then I started to move into an era where I was like, I, but I'd be like, I don't believe it, but it's clearly so good for all these people. And if it does good for people like, Hey, whatever works for you, man. And then I started to move into a period where I was like, actually, I don't think it is good for people. Like, I think it hurts people. I don't think it's okay. And then I started to feel like I was like a Jedi Knight who was like working for the dark side. Like I'd, I'd gone over to like Vader's side or something <laughs> like I know that's very dramatic, but like, I, I kind of was like fearing that, but I also was still getting, I was getting so much approval, like from my parents and stuff for working there. And it was actually offering me financial security to be able to live in Chicago as like a young single girl and like support my improv habit. Mm. So, um, I think like, and as I started, um, doing more and more comedy, I, I think because of my deep insecurities, like I would, I would always just be like, Oh, I'm not the funny one on the team. I'm like, I can make the connections and be a good supportive player and stuff, but I'm not funny. And I was, I was getting laughs. I just couldn't even like absorb them because of, you know, the, the multitude of like voices in my head of, uh, that belief system that had kept me so frightened, um, mm-hmm. toppling, I, I, I started to really struggle to know what my voice was. And, um, I still, to this day, I have a thing where whenever I do an improv show, I have trouble remembering it afterwards. Um, almost like I went into some other like state <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, I remember, um, one of my friends one night saying, something was really funny in the show. She was like, that was really funny. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, you were playing this like 12 year old little like skater kid who (laughs) was sort of a bad influence on the character she had been playing. And she was like, and, and we were having this conversation in character and your little 12 year old skater kid looked at me and said, it's that dualistic thinking that's keeping you in pain. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I said that in the show tonight. And she was like, she was like, yeah, it was, it was really funny to hear a kid talk like that. And I started to realize that like, that my actual comedic voice was like juxtaposing, like put, putting, um, like starting to let my little inner weirdo speak and letting her out. Like the very thing that I'd sort of been hiding from the world my whole life, like actually was my comedic voice. And I was getting laughs. I just wasn't getting laughs when I was trying to get laughs. I was getting laughs like accidentally when I would inadvertently like f- stumble into a moment of enough freedom where I let my little inner weirdo talk and mm-hmm. she would start to describe the way that she sees the world as she's deconstructing this like new idea of reality and, and walking away from like the painful belief system that was not serving her. And so as I slowly became more conscious of that, I think my comedic voice started to become clearer in my head and like the loud, mean, um, insecure voices that were trying to always prepare me for the worst by telling me the worst things about myself 
started to subside like when I was on stage because I found it really refreshing to not be me. I wasn't me in that moment. I was playing this 80 year old woman who doesn't give a good goddamn or, you know, whatever. (laughs) And, um, I, I found it to be such a refreshing break, like to clock out from the exhausted, like hamster wheel that had been Holly and be somebody else. And, um, so I honestly, in many ways, I feel like improv and comedy kind of, kind of saved me. And then, and then during that time I met Greg who I started dating. And then, um, years later we got married and, um, in Chicago and, and, and it's funny because like, I remember I had kind of become a real bullshitter because I felt so deeply bad about who I was, that I was always just like trying to give you some like bullshit version of me that I thought you would find more acceptable or likable or whatever. And so like at the same time, my comedic voice was sort of starting to click in. Um, I was also identifying like the, how I had to like uh, sort of extricate that bullshitter from inside of me that was um, hiding from you, you know, and like Mm -hmm. putting up walls of like, and I just realized I was kind of doing that with Greg. Like I was really only showing him like putting my best foot forward, which I guess you kind of do when you're first dating someone anyway, of like, look how great and lovable I am. And I'm not frightened and frail and angry mm-hmm. at all. I'm like wonderful to be around. And I laugh a lot. Ha ha ha. This is so fun. And, um, I think like, as it started to look more and more like trust with him and the more comfortable I got with him, the more I would let the real me slip out. That's like, and, and I, I just stopped, I just was like on a new mission to be honest with myself, to be honest with my peers and my loved ones and to be honest with the world. And as I started to do that, my little inner weirdo started speaking more and more. And I, I always tell this dumb story of like, Greg and I were, we were driving to visit his family. We we're driving through this little tiny town and there was just like one stop sign and like a tavern and a post office and but there was this storage facility and it said Eagle storage. And I was looking at it and I was like, wow. And Greg was like, what, what are you thinking about? What, what's wow. And I was like, this must be a really weird town. And he was like, why do you say that? And I was like, and I pointed at the Eagle storage space and I was like, that so many people here would have Eagles that they would need a storage space for it. And he, (laughs) and he kind of laughed like that. And I was like, And then I realized in that moment, like, I was like, wait, why did he just laugh? And then I was like, did I say something stupid? Oh, I said something stupid. Oh, wait, maybe there aren't eagles in there. Oh, wait, that's just, (laughs) oh, okay, okay, that's just a, but like, I think because of the way my brain formed with the evangelical belief system, like everything is so concrete that like my little inner weirdo, when I read Eagle storage, I'm like, Oh, that's a place where you store your Eagles. And I realized too, that like, that's how I was getting laughs on stage is when I would talk like that. And I, and then I would retroactively <laughs> be like, why did they laugh at that in that mo-? You know? And then I'd try to act like I meant it like that, you know, I like, Oh yeah, I get, mm-hmm. I get why that's funny. When in truth, like at first I didn't get why it was funny. So the more I like killed the bullshitter inside of me, 
the more I started to realize that I could like talk like that all the time and then also laugh at myself. Cause I'll still, I mean, like I'll still do it. I, I, the other day, no shit was sitting at a stoplight here in LA and there was this spinning sign outside of a liquor store and it said silver liquor. And I was looking at it and I was like, silver liquor. And I, I had a long like <laughs> thought where I was like, I've heard of gold Schlager where there's like gold flecks in the, in the booze. <laughs> But I've never heard of yeah. drinking anything <laughs> silver. And I was like, what would a silver, there's got to be a silver. And I, and, and through the whole stoplight, I had that, that was my whole line of thinking the whole time. And then it took me that long to be like, oh, that's the name of the liquor store. Like, I'm such a, like, I'm such a dumbass, but still. But, but like, I guess being able to laugh at myself and be able to be honest with the world and be like, Yep. Like that's how, uh, I think I was so afraid of being seen as dumb for so long. And now I'm a little bit like, you know, sometimes I'm dumb. <laughs> sometimes I'm not, but, um, sometimes I can be a real, a real dummy and I'm just going to choose to laugh about it rather than try to like imp- <laughs> impress you. <laughs> <laughs> that is the way some people process information. And just like you said, like everything about your world was was literal and fantastical at the same time. <laughs> like, yeah, so right? that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, exactly. Can't, can't say it better than that. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you guys, how did you and Greg decide to start a show like mega? You, you host a podcast called mega and it is about a fictional mega church in Indianapolis, which makes it even richer for me just because <laughs> I grew up about an hour outside of Indianapolis. Yes. And yeah. And so you chose the trendy neighborhood and broad ripple yeah. to locate it and everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love everything about, about the, the setup of the show, but how, how did you eventually take all of this stuff, like and sort of marry these two parts of your life? You have everything from your childhood, uh, and adolescence that that you processed going through college and after college, and then you have this comedic chapter, and then now over the last couple of years, you've explored both through this podcast, which is an improv show, yeah, uh, based in a megachurch. Yeah. So how did, how did that come together? <laughs> well. I've always said like that I'm bilingual. I speak English and I speak evangelical and, um, <laughs> and yeah. it might be like tooting my own horn a little too much. So forgive me. But I, I, I sometimes like in my deepest thoughts, I'll be like, Ooh, there's nothing more dangerous than someone who can translate the new Testament who grew up like so deeply entrenched in all of this thinking and who like knows how to speak your language and can like navigate as a, as a native in your world, but who actually like has like gone through the deconstruction process and then can kind of be funny about it as well. Mm -hmm. But that honestly is me taking way too much credit for the whole thing happening uh, because I just wanted to do a podcast. I was like, I'm in LA, I'm hustling. I'm, I'm, you know, trying to uh, create, you know, I'm in that hustle. And, um, and I was like, I want to do podcasts. I want to do podcasts. And I, I kept coming up with all these ideas and I would be on walks with my like comedy friends, or I'd be on uh, like walking the dog with Greg. And I'd be like, Oh, I want to do something about how improv, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to come up with all these different ideas of like, 
like the, the therapeutic nature of like the rules of improv and all stuff. And Greg just kept being like, you got to do something about a mega church. Like it's such a rich backdrop and you know, the language and like, you can bring your comedic sensibilities and mm-hmm. like create a really searing satire. And he's like, you got, you got to do something about a mega church. You, you have this in your past, but honestly, in truth, like I was really avoiding it because I think I, held a lot of regret in my body, like for how long I had stayed working at a mega church when I didn't even believe and how much it hurt me to feel so strangely closeted there and how I felt so full of shit. And it just had so many like bad feelings around it for me that I was like, yeah, nah, you know, I want to do something about this or that. And I kept like thinking of all these ideas and (laughs) <laughs> Finally, I went and I sat with um, the production, the media group who like now produces Mega and I was sitting with um, them and I'm pitching all these ideas and they were kind of like, yeah, there was no energy under them. And they were kind of like looking at their watches and like kind of late in the pitch. I was like, and I have this idea of like, you know, set, uh, uh, improvised satire set in a mega church, like playing characters who work at the mega church and bringing in like, you know, a guest each week to, you know, play somebody else who's part of that, like that community, that mega church. And they were like, wait, what? They were like, that's the one let's, let's do that. (laughs) And so I went away and like totally overthought it and was like, okay, what do I name it? And how do I design the world and blah, 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 blah. And I worked so hard on it and then ended up tossing out everything that I'd um, been trying, working too hard on. And I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to call it twin Hills because I'll be able to remember it because I'll think of it like boobs. And to me, it's funny if I have like a, a boob joke, like (laughs) hidden in the very title. And so it'll be twin Hills community church. Great done. Uh, they always have to name the youth group and the different ministries have all these like cool names and whatever. And, oh yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if I called the youth ministry climax? Cause every, you know, like when, when you're that age, you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm like pole vaulting around on my erections constantly. Oh my God. And so I'm like, great. I'll call the teen ministry climax and then we'll blah, blah, blah. And, and, and then like, once we just started it, it just like all kind of, because uh, we're all improvisers. We just started playing together and it, it kind of took its own shape like pretty quickly. And it, it kind of, I think continues to evolve, but um, it's, it's really fun. And I've actually, I've had so many people contact me and be like, I find it really healing having grown up like in that world. I find it really healing to be able to like laugh. And I also feel like <laughs> strangely cozy in the language and the, in the world, because I just, I'm so familiar with right. it, but to, then for it to have this like sort of like satirical edge to it and to hear Christians like speaking this way, but with this like underlying commentary, like the Christian characters, I mean. Um, <laughs> and so, and, I'm, and I right. think part of me too, like it, it has healed me a little bit too, because, because of that regret that I've carried around about having worked in a mega church and feeling honestly kind of embarrassed about it. And like, why didn't I just throw more caution to the wind? Why did that? Why did I stay there so long? Why did I, I didn't even believe it and blah, blah, blah. And it was hurting me. And, and, um, I think being able to now use it has, um, has really, uh, it has kind of helped like close that wound a little bit and allow myself to just even forgive myself for, for having been there and done that. And, 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 um, been a Jedi who went over to the dark side for a while. And, uh, 
and forgive myself and just like use it and be like, I'm going to have fun with it. And and it really is such a rich world and it's so ripe for commentary. And so every time we, every time oh, we do sure. it, I'm like, wow, that was so fun. That was so, so fun. And, and, and I'm, my deepest love is improv and improvising. So it's an outlet to be able to do that and to, um, to be able to do it with great players. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of the origin and the evolution of it. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of, big scale evangelical world is so distinct. And like, if you've been in that, if you've been in those sorts of spaces, like it feels like it, like the, the, the sorts of references you make, the ways in which you and, and Greg, like, and your hosts just make everything positive. Like (laughs) I remember like uh, just the, the way in which you, you always have to redeem something. I listened to the episode with, with, um, Thomas Middleditch and he keeps killing people with his planes, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) like, like this is like so many people die, (laughs) but they're just like, you know, just uh, just another opportunity to be a witness, you know? And, and just the way in which that, that works, I think speaks to, to really how performative a lot of that sort of church culture is like, even in the real world. Yeah. So much of it yeah. is, is, is fame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I, and I think now like being a performer, I'm like, Oh, I learned that from my dad, from being on the road with him when he was up there giving the message of the mm. gospel. Like I, I didn't know this at the time, like consciously, but like he was performing and, and it, there is a performance to it and um, it's, it, it's compelling. And I, I often wonder like why, you know, people still go to church and stuff. And I'm like, well, in many ways, it's like going to a a concert where you have that, like that feeling of like, I'm part of this thing. And there's, there are endorphins and it's like, it's a free, it's a free concert. It's some free therapy. It's some free community. It's like, I kind of, I get it. And and, and I think a lot of our mega listeners are Christians and, um, and and I mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I don't know. Right. I mean, to be really honest with you, listening to your episode of Exvangelical with Tom, uh, with um, um, Pete Holmes, it has me mm-hmm. a little bit rattled, and I feel like it's so apropos and epic kind of, of this big transformation I'm feeling like overall in my life of like choosing uh, love and belonging and, and trust and like choosing to allow myself to finally be happy. Like it's so funny because for like most of your talk with um, Pete, I was listening to it and I was like, Oh my gosh, I completely disagree. Oh my gosh, this is kind of pissing me off. Like, oh my gosh, of course, it's easy for you to say, God, the, the, yes, of course you can say that. Like <laughs> a white privileged straight guy, like, yeah, of course you got. And I was just getting so like having these strong reactions of like, I really, really disagree. And then as it went on, I started to, I realized like I'd been hitting the like 15 seconds back, 15 seconds back, 15 seconds back, like over and over, like Wait, what did he just say? I have to listen to that again. Wait, what did Blake just say? I got to listen to that again. Like, what did it? I probably listened to it three (laughs) times, like all in one sitting. And I was like, wait a second. And it started to like, 
I don't know, like ring a certain bell inside of me where I realized like so much of my discomfort with the, with most of what you and Pete were talking about for the first half of it or whatever was, it was almost like when you break up with someone and you, you used to have this tenderness and this intimacy and you would kiss each other on the mouth and you would tell each other your secrets and you would have this sort of um, relationship. I realized like I had a relationship with that belief system and so much of my experience now is like, we broke up Mm -hmm. like, and like I, I broke up with that person. I don't, and I wanted to be like, Pete, stop talking so nicely about this person who like broke my heart, man. <laughs> you know, like, um, and I, I kind of realized that like, um, and then, and then I started to get really self-conscious too, where I was like, yeah, I was in a relationship with Christianity and we did break up. And, and, and then I started getting self-conscious and being like, wow, I, I'm not in a relationship with any of my exes in like real relationships. Like I, I think because I'm so tender and so sensitive and so emotional, like I just have to be like, uh, I have to move on. I have to leave that in the past and allow my heart to kind of like go in another direction. And when I started to really, and then I started to be like, well, why am I not friends with the name of my exes? Like what's wrong with me? And and just immediately thinking like something's wrong with me. Okay. I got to figure this thing out and I'll go do mushrooms or something and I'll, I'll figure it out and I'll be better. And like, okay, something, yeah, something's definitely wrong with me. I should be able to be friends with my exes. I should be able to like, like when he was talking about like, um, uh, like R- Richard Rohr, who's, uh, who are you? Yeah. I was yeah, like, one of Richard Rohr is a, he's a Franciscan, Franciscan yeah, friar. And yeah. And author. I remember kind of digging him when I was still kind of like, in the belief system. And, and, and I know there's some good thinkers and good folks out there um, who are hanging with it. And, um, but I just, I think I've Mm -hmm. had to just be like, I'm out, I'm gone. I'm on a totally different planet. I flew my little Jedi plane. Like I'm on this other one now and I don't, and I, and I won't listen to any of them. And, (laughs) And like we broke up and, and, and even like when you two were talking about um, like, well, as your conversation progressed, I kind of started to, hear what you and Pete were talking about and about the, like the metaphorical approach to what I always was taught was like literal, you know? Right. Yeah. And and as you got into that, I started to just really be like, Oh my gosh. Like I felt, I felt sort of um, my heart start to melt a little bit and be like, Oh, I think even with mega, like so much of what I'm saying is, trying to comedically be like, Hey, this is in your book. And this is in your book too. You know, that book that you've built your life around. Here's another thing that's in there. And this is also in there y'all and this too, and this too. And, um, because I, I don't think God does come off great, you know, in terms of like, it's just like, he, he kills people a lot. He's, you know, it's like really wrathful and whatever. I think Jesus, yeah, it's not. It's like Jesus. It's, not very is, it's, it's very like it's 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 more like Trumpian. <laughs> what? But what you two were talking about when I finally could get over myself and and hear the the beautiful nature of what you were talking about, and and I was like, damn it, Pete is really a good thinker and uh, has a lovely way of articulating something that he cares deeply about. And I started to think like, 
Mm-hmm. I have people all the time tell me like, oh, you got to watch like, you know, all these things like, you know, on Netflix or whatever about like these different documentaries coming out or whatever about it or Jesus camp or stuff like that. Or, or what was the one that just came out mm-hmm. about like that, that like shadow group of Christians behind the Republican party. Yeah. The family, like uh, people uh, are always telling family. me like, you have to watch these things. Oh, this is so up your alley. And I'm like, actually it's not. And I never watch any of that stuff because it, for me, it's like reliving the breakup or going back and looking at the, 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 the scene of the crime or the car crash or whatever. And I mm-hmm. really, I've sort of maybe, I think as I was listening to you and Pete talk, I was like, wow, I think maybe um, part of this new, this this transformational thing I feel myself inside of, like listening to your conversation became a big part of that because um, uh, I think I need to, rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater, because I think there's ultimately something fearful in that, like, I need to not be afraid of, of looking at it and, Mm. and finding the, the beauty and the humanity. And I shouldn't even reference this book because I'm not reading it, but my husband, Greg is, he's reading that book Sapiens right now. Do you know that book? Oh, by Noah Yuval Harari. Uh, I think I have that yeah. name. I know the last name is Harari. Right. I might have mixed up the, the two um, other names. Yeah. He, we, we were talking yeah. about it because I was asking, he's reading it right now and I was asking about it and he was talking about how like, you know, um, the way that, that we evolved as a species, like the communication and the ability to communicate and articulate became such a, uh, like the defining thing of what turned us into what we are now, because like, even like monkeys can, they can communicate with each other to a certain degree. They can be like, there is a lion down there. Um, but, but they can't be like, I saw a lion by the creek yesterday. You know what I mean? And the fact that we can begin to talk like that, we can begin mm-hmm. to imagine. And when we can imagine, then we can make up God and, and like control people and like have all these different religions and all of that stuff. Right. I think thinking along those lines like that has kept me feeling very um, isolated um, from people I love who are believers or, or just feeling like apples and oranges. And, and especially like with my parents, like it's been so deeply painful because Mm -hmm. my parents to this day are such supernaturalists and it's always like, all right, I, I just, I just made my first short film that I'm submitting to all these festivals. And in fact, I just got back from London. I'm super jet lagged right now because I was there at a film festival with my film, but my film is called brought to you by Satan. Oh my goodness. And, um, it's basically, it's, it's based on a true story of like just sitting at a meal <laughs> with my family while my dad like talked about this, uh, the, the supernatural as, as reality. I mean, it's, 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 it's just so oversaturated. Like we went to that movie mm. Dunkirk and the whole way home from Dunkirk, he was like, you know, the, um, Satan like took hold of Hitler's mind and it was this spiritual warfare that was actually controlling like those planes and everything that were like bombing, you know, did you see that movie Dunkirk? And uh, no, I, I didn't. And yeah, I know it's one of the Christopher Nolan ones, but I totally missed it's, it's a <laughs> it's a war movie and, and 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 my dad like all the way home is telling mm-hmm. me and Greg about how like Satan was the one who entered Hitler and was like controlling those planes and it was actually a spiritual warfare that was like 
managing the actual like World War II and and it's just it's just all the time. And um, it's really kind of been hard for me to um, st- st- uh, be true to who I am and um, not bullshit them and, and, and accept them for who it's been really hard, but I feel like this thing that's happening right now with me and, and that conversation that you and Pete had is really helpful to me. I feel like it's beginning to scratch at something that's like, Oh, maybe choosing happiness and trust and love like does mean like coming back to a, a, a greater generosity of spirit and, and being able to, you know, be, be friends with my ex, so to speak, and um, have a more mature, have a more emotionally mature relationship to right. it and not be so like, you know, get out of here, baby. Right. I got to throw this bathwater out the window. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean that, that conversation with Pete, uh, thank you for all you said about it, all the kind things you said about it. One of the, I know that one of the things that, that he really emphasized was you process, like you do have to process leaving and being angry. Uh, but eventually some, at some point yeah. it's good to release it, that anger. And one of the things that I come back to is, you know, I don't care what you believe. I, I care that you're whole. And so like the things that, that, that get you closer to that, that's really what matters. And I, I think Pete has a very expansive way of expressing that. And like, that's why he's able to. And I think one of the things that evangelicalism teaches you is do not have a piecemeal theology. It's got to be cohesive. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be all these things. But there's like a whole other type of spirituality that is able to receive the goodness from all sorts of traditions and recognize them all as as valuable. And that's, I think it's hard for people that come from backgrounds like ours to get to that place. But it, I think it's often very much, depending on the person, it it can be very much worth the effort to, to explore that. (laughs) There's this one, um, quote and I, I want, I, I want to say, I know that I had this wrong. Um, it's, uh, you're going to hear me type um, because I want to, I want to quote the right poet, but there's, um, oh, it's Rilke. I was going to say Rumi, but it's Rilke. There's, there's one line, um, from Rilke that I heard in, on an on being podcast years ago that seems to continue to echo for me, which is, uh, mm. I live my life in widening circles. And to me that it sort of encompasses, leaving a very fundamentalist literalist type of religion of origin yeah. and just letting yeah, the world get great. bigger and bigger. That's a really great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've, you, you're still working, you can still be angry, you know, but there's, there's also a good thing about, you don't, you don't have to feel an obligation to the anger, just like you felt an obligation to wow. the belief. You know? I got to write that um, down. That's a good <laughs> quote, dude. It's funny. I, I, I referenced that when Greg and I were down in um, Mexico this August, we went to a shamanic like meditation drum circle, like healing night. And it was just as weird as, as it sounds. And it was kind of the best. And we, mm. we left after like over two hours of this, like drumming and like, 
uh, chanting and guided meditations and then like the shaman doing like body work on us and like trying to rid us of whatever it was that was like had us in its clutches and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, we walked down and we were like, that was really weird. And then Greg was like, but I love that we do this weird stuff. And I was like, I, I kind of do too, because like, there's little nuggets <laughs> everywhere. Like, I, I don't really believe, I, I almost feel like, I don't know if this is true or not. I hear myself say this, but I don't know if it's true. I I almost feel like having deconstructed, and, and maybe this is part of the transition I'm going through now, actually, is um, having deconstructed my belief system, I thought, for, I have thought for a long time now, like kind of made me unable to believe anything. Like I've, I, you know, it's, and, and yet like since yeah. moving to LA, like I'll go to an intuitive, I'll go to like the, a sound bath. I'm doing all that like nonsense, you know, where I'm like, yeah, I'll go to a shamanic drum circle meditation healing night. Like I don't believe any of it, but like I, there are things that I find helpful inside of it. <laughs> There's like, you know, some clairvoyant, like gave me some of the weirdest, like reading my Akashic records and talking to me about my past lives and everything. And I was like, I don't believe in past lives. And she's like, that doesn't matter. Like there's, there's information here for you. Like, it doesn't matter what you believe and whatever. And, um, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm transitioning now to going back to being able to Mm -hmm. believe in something Mm -hmm. because it's funny that even though I'm like, I don't believe in anything, here I am continuing to like in the same way I took every Bible class I could possibly take until I ran out of classes and had to go to seminary. Like I similarly now I'm like, I don't believe in anything. And yet I'm constantly going to shamans and healers and intuitives and clairvoyants and like all, you know, like I've really gotten into TM and I really like TM because um, it's a practice that's just for me, it's more scientific. And I'm like, I don't want anything that has any religious roots, you know? And anyway, long story short, when we were mm-hmm. with this shaman that night in Mexico, after he took us on this whole long thing, you kind of do get swept up, like the rhythm of the drums. You start to kind of be like, whoa, I, I am kind of going on a little bit of a journey here in terms of like, all right, I'm, I'm hanging, I'm listening, whatever. At the end of the whole thing, when he kind of had me in a state of being able to hear him, he ended by just saying like, life is an idea. If it's not working for you, change the idea. <laughs> and we went home that night and just sat by the water and like looked at the stars and thought about that for hours. And we were like, what does that mean for us? Cause I do think that's possible. Like change the idea. Like, and, and in the same way you're saying like, that's, what that's awesome. can make you have bigger circles rather than circling the wagons and coming in and being like, this is what I believe, like my precious, like white knuckling it, being like, what are the ways in which, like what are the ideas that take me into a wider and wider circle? It might be more helpful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's such an amazing life is an idea. (laughs) That's (laughs) Right, I'm because it, it changes and morphs <laughs> on different days and in different moods, and it's I, I have I really continue to kind of like just try to let that sink in, and yeah, yeah, because I mean ideas are so fleeting and transitory. It's it's weird to think of life in that yeah. way. Yeah, and, and it's, it's also and true. It's like what we <laughs> so, like according to what's his man. name who wrote Sapiens. Uh, <laughs> like it's it's the exact thing we've evolved to is that now we are these 
like mammals, but who have this strange consciousness through language that can imagine and can, you know, and it's probably also what's giving all of like anxiety about mm-hmm. the future and all that stuff. Like I, I always tell my improv students, I'm like, just be like a dog. Like right. dogs are the best improvisers because dogs are entirely present. Every time my dog gets in the car, she doesn't know if we're going to the best place in the world, the beach, or if we're going to the worst place in the world, the vet. She's just in the car. And I'm like, with improv, with my students all the time, I can be like, you're not having fun and you're not entering a state of play and getting into the flow of just like making organic discoveries together through listening to each other because you're so trying to figure out where the car of this scene is going. Like, just be in the car. Just be in the car. And um, mm. <laughs> because it's it's in the same way that like, I have to stop performing to try to gain and earn love because it's not up to me to answer why Greg loves me or why anyone loves me. It's for them to answer, you know, like just, just be in the car. That's so, that's so great. And I mean, even to hear this at, at, at this point in our conversation from the way you talked about yourself as a child and being so anxious, I mean, it's so awesome that you, <laughs> you can even impart that to someone else, like as as a teacher. Oh, wow. That's so cool. cool. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> it is, I just wanted to say, like, thank you for this conversation. It's really been so lovely, and I feel like I know you, and we've never even shaken hands. And um, I just really appreciate your time. And I'm gonna um, take away some nuggets from this for sure as I continue to you know, try to take active steps towards wholeness and, and occasionally do the, the, um, numbing booze and cannabis and mushrooms route as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can do that healthily and I know not everyone can like, so, so everybody take <laughs> yeah, that with the, the with the, the asterisk uh, balance and is the key to life. <laughs> like, that's right. Yeah. Holly, this has been a, a great conversation and I, I totally agree. This is, I've, I've loved talking to you. Um, where where can people find the show? Where can they find you online or in LA or just plug whatever you want to plug? <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. Uh, you know, Mega the Podcast is everywhere podcasts exist. Um, M-E-G-A. And uh, um, we have a really good time and hopefully it'll make people laugh a lot. And also, if you uh, tune in on Saturdays to NPR, I have a um, segment called Tragedy Plus Time with Holly Lerone. And, uh, uh, but, but also like just my website, which is my name and, um, and, um, my name is the same on, uh, Instagram and, uh, Twitter. I think it's my last name first is Laurent Holly. Um, but, uh, I'll put stuff up there. Like I play at UCB here in LA. People can come see me play, um, on some Fridays and with, um, some duo shows, shows with Jason Manzoukas once in a while. Oh, and, awesome. That's great. Um, yeah. And and eventually, as soon as I finish this festival circuit, I'll put out my Brought to You by Satan uh, short film. It's 11 minutes long, and it's really funny, and it's really dark, and it's, <laughs> it's really fun. And it's exploring the idea of whether or not we um, see what we believe or if we believe what we see. And, and about how, like, kind of the semantic kind of struggle of, like, my dad looks at something, and he's like, ooh, I see a powerful stronghold of Satan. And I'm like, oh, I look at the same thing and be like, I see addiction and abuse. And like, are we talking about the same thing, just using different language or not? Like, who knows? Like trying to play with that idea mm. of, um, of, yeah, of, of belief and, and all of that. So I'll put that out too. Um, but yeah, if, if people got into mega, that would be really, really fun. Um, 
And yeah, again, like I, I, I really appreciate your time. I, I can't thank you enough for this conversation and for some of the gems that you've left me with that really will stick with me and that mean a lot to me. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show and telling your story as well. I really appreciate it. Ah, well, have a good night.